right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Gators podcast, your daily home for Florida Gators coverage and part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. You can throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. You can find him over at Demetrius82. But most importantly, go follow the Locked On Gators handle at Locked On Gators, and you'll never miss an episode of the show. Demetrius, as always, say what's up to the people. What's up, everyone? I hope you enjoyed yesterday's podcast of the Locked On Gators podcast. Uh, today, we're going to have something special. Obviously, it's a pretty exciting day for Florida Gators fans, for college football in general, and we hope you enjoy and, and hope you guys enjoy still listening to us every day. If you haven't listened yet, go ahead and listen to the previous couple days podcast. We did one on Monday. We did one on Tuesday. We'll be doing one all week, so just go ahead and give us a shout on Twitter or give us a shout on anything, iTunes, leave a review. Just go listen. Yeah, make sure to subscribe and you'll never miss an episode because uh, we are posting every day. If you want to catch up every day on the ride to work, if you are going into work in these in these times, then the best way to do it is to either follow us on Twitter at Locked On Gators or subscribe anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Locked On Gators. As Demetrius said, today is a pretty big day in college football. The first release of the college football playoff rankings. And Demetrius, Florida came in at a spot that they're ranked in the AP Top 25. Uh, the coaches poll views them a little bit higher than both of these, the AP Top 25 and the college football playoff rankings. They stand at number six. Now, I, I'm curious how you dissect this because I know that there's a couple of things around the list in general that, that we've got a little bit of issue with. But personally, uh, I understand the argument to put Florida at five because I still think they're, you, you know, flip a coin. One side's Florida, one side's Texas A&M, and I think it's going to come out Florida most of the time uh, just by how that game ended, especially if Florida can make correct themselves. And with that being said, obviously they're really taking the head-to-head into account here. But I, I understand the argument to have Florida – ahead of Texas A&M if they were to have done it, but that just ultimately did not end up being the case. No, it, it didn't end up being the case, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Obviously, when you have a head-to-head matchup already, it makes it super easy on the committee to just say, you know, put Texas A&M ahead and put Florida right behind. That's obviously what the AP has decided to do. You know, the coaches poll is a little bit different, but it, it, it just kind of makes sense. You know, if, if you're going to have Texas A&M as a team that's already defeated Florida, they've already, you know, overcome the Goliath, so to speak, and what the Florida Gators offense was. Because if you guys remember, weeks one and two, the Florida Gators offense was still firing on, on all cylinders. You know, it wasn't as if they were just ramping up. It, it, it pretty much was nearing the peak of where they're at right now. They were still doing extremely well. Now, the defense is a little bit of a different story. Obviously, they've gotten a lot better over the past few weeks than they were in week three against Texas A&M. But, you know, that that game does hold merit. And, you know, the college football playoff committee, they decided, hey, Texas A&M beat them, put them a, a little bit ahead. And let's be honest, though, this ranking isn't going to matter at all until the SEC title game. It doesn't matter where Florida's ranked. They could be ranked seventh. It doesn't really matter because Alabama's ranked number one. And we've said this, you know, the past couple weeks, every single day on this podcast so far, the Florida Gators are going to be playing Alabama if they get to the SEC title game in December. So 
once they if the, if they can defeat Alabama, then that's going to put them in the top four, which is where you want to be for the college football playoffs. And I don't necessarily see a problem with that. So ultimately, the the, the rankings are cool. It's nice to see, and we're going to see them every single week. Who knows how it's going to shift? Texas A&M still has a couple games left. Florida still has a couple games left. I doubt either team would lose any of their remaining games, but if they do, then we're going to see a little bit of a shift at the top. We already see Ohio State is at number four with only four games. Who knows how that's going to shake out? So we've got a little bit to go, and I think ultimately it's just going to come down to the SEC title game. Yeah, you said exactly what I was going to say, in that this won't matter until we get to December 19th and we get through that game, and we understand exactly who from the SEC will advance and how things will shake out. Now, you do wonder about Ohio State being number four and you know just the way that the list is going. If there's a chance at Florida and Alabama both making it in if Florida does win the SEC championship. I don't know how I feel about it, and I, and I know that we also have – I know you've got takes beyond just the top four as well, but, I mean, could you foresee that happening? Uh, and I, I think I saw an ESPN graphic actually suggesting – it didn't have any suggestions as to what would have happened in the title game, but it suggested that Florida and Alabama would meet as a one-and-four seed in, in the playoff as well. So, I mean, how do you feel about the possibility of that happening down the line as well as just some takes from around the rest of the rankings? Yeah, having Florida and Alabama in the playoff at at the same time, that would be interesting. Obviously, Florida would have to beat Alabama for that to become a thing. I could kind of see it. It depends on how Ohio State finishes the season. So right now they have Northwestern at eight. Ohio State and Northwestern are planning to meet, you know, a few weeks from now. So... If 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 Northwestern, which is playing incredibly well, I mean, considering last year, I believe they were only a three win team last season or four win team, something like that. So, considering they're five and zero right now, they're playing red hot defense. Uh, considering that Ohio State is an offense only team this season, it appears it, it's going to be interesting to see. So, if if Northwestern can take down Ohio State and it's not as convincing as the guys would want it, and considering. The schedule for the Big Ten as well, obviously, a little bit more limited games, and we've seen that it's definitely, granted, a lot of conferences seem different this year. The SEC for sure, but there's a difference in in all SEC schedule versus what the Big Ten is doing and what some other conferences are doing. I mean, that's why we marvel at Kyle Trask in the numbers he's putting up against an all-SEC schedule particularly. Uh, With that, I, I, I do see it being more of a possibility that maybe people will give credit for. And yes, Ohio State does have the cloud of holding number four right now, but especially if it was Northwestern. At that point, two one-loss SEC programs, especially with this committee, I don't want to say they're necessarily biased, but there there always can be a little bit of bias in a human polling, in, in which case I could totally see it being at that point. Right, and these guys are going based on their opinions entirely, their evaluation. There is no formula that they use. They use their eyes. So they're looking at the tape. They're watching Florida and how they play against teams like Arkansas or how they play against teams like Vanderbilt. They're seeing how the margin of victory are for both of those games. They even talked about how, you know, obviously Clemson went toe-to-toe with the team and, and and barely lost, but that game was quote-unquote good, and Trevor Lawrence was gone. So 
they're taking all of these things into consideration. And they even talked about how there's fewer teams or fewer games for some of these teams like Ohio State. So even though they did play four games, it's their it's about their body of work, what they saw on tape. So this is going to be interesting to see. If, if Ohio State doesn't look convincingly like a top four team, then especially if they lose to Northwestern, which I doubt that they would, but if they did, then just go ahead and, and kind of see it. It would be, it would be very curious. I would be very curious to see what they would do. Uh, my only question is, I, I guess Texas A&M at number five, I don't really necessarily see a shot for them to get in unless something crazy happens like Florida loses against Alabama and then Ohio State does go on that, you know, losing or they, they do lose to Northwestern and, then at the same time, you're going to have to ask, how are you going to put Northwestern up there? So who knows how it's going to ultimately play out. But just a couple of teams on here that I kind of, you know, had a little bit of concern with where they were ranked. Uh, obviously, we've seen Georgia this year. We saw Florida pretty much smash them, especially in the second half of that game. And just in terms of their pure dominance, they were able to beat Georgia Bulldogs this season. It was great. And if you look at their schedule and kind of where they are ranked at number nine on this list they are two lost team but yet they're ranked number nine and they're ranked ahead of BYU now I understand that BYU is not some wholesale amazing uh, program because of where they're they're at but you know that they have a, a a guy at quarterback in Wilson who's just incredible they have the the pedigree to be in that kind of game they have the the attention of the audiences they have the ability on offense it just it seems like that would be a game where you would want to kind of see. But aside from those two, I kind of agree with the ranking, especially since they're initial. There's nothing really to dissect too much further. But just a, a couple of those kind of teams with BYU ranked 14, Georgia ranked ninth. those are the two that I had the most issue with. Yeah, I will say with BYU in the, in the Washington ordeal, it, once again, people accusing a team of ducking. It just doesn't seem like that's the case. I understand. Like I made, I even made a meme about it the other. I day. made a joke, but about the any team, any time, any place. But you know Makes what? Sense. Like, you know, Washington is going to want to play a Pac-12 team over BYU if they can make that happen. And if there wasn't a guarantee, you know, I hate how everyone just says that the little schools have just got to kind of suck it, you know. And I understand there's a lot of Florida bias towards UCF how they say they just kind of got to suck it. And I understand that that UCF did not handle the situation perfectly. Their fans made it a lot harder to deal with uh, along the way uh, with the national championship claims and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, UCF did command respect beyond what I think they were given by Florida fans. Same way that Washington fans are probably really disrespecting BYU right now. They have a right to have standards with considering how well they're playing and we're playing football in a pandemic. I feel like that's a constant reminder, but like you know, things are not always going to go so perfectly. And with that being the case, yeah, Demetrius, I'm with you. I, I, w- I would like to see them maybe a little bit higher. And I guess that's my hot take of the day is stop saying that they're ducking Washington unless it's a meme. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll admit I joked about them, you know, anytime, anywhere, whatever. And I said, on the top of the the quote retweet, except because seemed like the t- pretty much close to the time that they tweeted that out, the report came out that they kind of said, and I don't know if we're going to play Washington kind of. 
stuff like that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if they will add a team, which they could. They could add Washington. Washington could add them. But like Zach said, you know, it, it might not go that way, and it's a complicated manner anyways. They didn't have this previously scheduled. They don't have this on their itinerary. It's not as if this is going to be an easy slot in. Here we go because it's not a normal time of the year. So if they don't end up playing Washington or if this deal is just not even a thing anymore, then it is what it is. But I do agree that BYU, it, they're just such an interesting team, and I would love to see them playing a little bit, just just a little bit higher. I don't even know necessarily if they would even make it into the, the into the playoffs. I doubt it, even if they were a little bit higher. But but it, it, it would just give them a little bit more respect. I guess it goes back to the UCF thing too, where I think that this team deserves a little bit more respect than they're given. For sure. When we come back, we're going to be circling back to Florida. Rolling defenders through. Is it an issue? Is it not? I guess I, I guess we're still trying to figure that out. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. And that's when you reach for a Coors Light. Especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's get.coorslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. We've talked about Built Bar this entire season, just how flavorful these bars actually are and how jolly they make us feel, especially after a workout. But with the holiday season approaching, I think it's time we give you guys something special. On Black Friday, beginning Thanksgiving Day at 5pm, Built Bar has a special promotion for you all, along with a couple of new flavors. If you order on Black Friday, you'll also receive two free candy cane brownie bars with every item purchased, and all products are 25% off. On Black Friday, go ahead and go to BuiltBar.com and get 25% off your order. Plus, don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to get more off on top of that. Post-game on Saturday, Dan Mullen said that he was disappointed in the team defensively not rolling guys through like they have been on offense. And anyone that's listened to Dan Mullen talk before knows why he thinks that's important for depth, keeping guys fresh, the whole nine. And he wants to see that out of the defense, and he thinks that maybe that will help solve some issues. And we did see young guys step into the game and play well when they were rolled through in the manner that Todd Grantham decided to. Uh, and then I specifically asked Mullen on Monday if that was something they did address and if he does foresee that happening, uh, more rolling through as long as the availability's there. And he didn't talk about the defense at all. He, he switched the conversation back to the offense and just repeated the same stuff he said before. So we were left wondering at that point, okay, was Dan just saying this aggravated post game and they figured it wasn't too big a deal? Uh, is he trying to leave us in the dark and maybe he's going to start a bunch of freshmen this week? Uh, we don't know. 
but we then got to talk to Todd Grantham on Tuesday night, and Demetrius, you got to ask as well about rolling players through. So just share with me a little bit about what you were able to pull from Grantham there. I'm sure it was a little bit more than what Mullen had to say on Monday. Yeah, I mean, Todd, obviously, as the defensive coordinator, he answered about the defensive side of the football, which is what you expect. Uh, the Prior to me asking the question, he had already kind of touched on this a little bit. He's talking about guys like Jaisaia Pierre and and obviously Tyron Hopper, how they were able to get in. Then Trey Bez was getting there. Rashad was getting in there. But these are all guys that kind of got in there later in the game. So I kind of asked a little bit more uh, as a follow-up, you know, how, what about earlier in the game? We heard Dan talk about this right after the game saying he was a little disappointed. He's, he wants to have the young guys in there a little bit more to give the older guys a little bit of a breather, to give the young guys time to develop, which is what you want to do. These guys are going to be the future of this program, so you would like to see them get in a little bit, especially near the end of the season, so that they're ready for the grueling year ahead where they're going to be playing the majority of the snaps. So I thought, I thought he gave a pretty – okay answer on this because he talked about how there were young players in there and that's what they kind of want to get and to answer my question he said I think we play a lot of players I mean if you look we play a lot of players and we'll continue to play a lot of players as situations arise to play guys we'll obviously do that and that's kind of like a coach speak sort of answer but you know he he did say that they're gonna be playing more players and seeing how the game goes on I think that ultimately what the company line, I guess, from the Florida administration or Florida program right now is that if the players look good enough in practice and if they play well in the games, they're going to be the starters. They're going to be the majority rep earners. And I guess you can understand that. For But for me, I you know, when I'm watching the game and I'm seeing players like the safety position kind of getting beat week in and week out and you have guys like Rashad Torrance that have played well you want to see them in there more than the players that are already in there. You you want to see a guy like Tyron Hopper playing a little bit more. You want to see a guy like Derek Wingo at all get in there. You haven't seen him really. Again, this is the – I know we keep banging this drum for Derek Wingo, and if he's horrible, we're going to you know catch a lot of flag, but we haven't seen him. So how do we know if he's bad? And we know that there's been issues on the at the linebacker group. We know that Ventrell Miller isn't 100% healthy. He keeps going down a couple times a game. He'll come right back in, but – it's it's he's 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 basically the heart of the defense right now. He's playing every single snap, so it's going to be difficult to see what they would do moving forward. But for now, I do believe uh, they're going to try to get a little bit more rotation in there, especially as we head to the last three weeks of the season. Well, how would you do it though? Because I mean, Grantham talked about teams going tempo uh, or up tempo. Um, Vanderbilt did it in spurts, almost like it was. It was methodical how they did it to try and catch Florida off guard. And you see the screen grab, I'm sure, that's out there on Twitter of, like, Vanderbilt ready to snap the ball, and Florida's got guys, half the roster's got their arms up in the air, and everyone was out of position and stuff. But, you know, memes aside, at the same time, it seemed like an issue where they would swap players in into different packages on, like, third downs. But at the same time, while they were doing that, that's exactly when Vanderbilt was going to tempo. And Grantham even seemed to allude to it as guys were moving um, just around the field. That was creating some communication errors as well. Right. You, 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 you're right about that. You can't put in players if the other team is going up tempo because that's how you're going to get 12 men on the field. That's how you're going to get these communication errors where 
team, the players aren't going to know what's going on. They're like, oh, Trey Bez is in the game. Did he get the call or did I get the call? How is this going to go on? So it's going to be a thing where they have to think about this prior to the game going in. So this is basically going to be you need to have a game plan for getting a guy like Rashad Torrance and for a couple drives. You might have to have him in there and concede that Donovan Steiner is not going to come into the game until the next drive unless they have a big break in the in the drive itself. There has to be little rotations like that. It can't be necessarily on-the-fly rotations like you normally would, and you'll see that a lot from the Gators' offense. You'll see them rotate the wide receivers in, but they can do that because they dictate the tempo on offense. The other team dictates the tempo on offense as well, so the Gators' defense can't necessarily do that. It's going to be interesting to see, but I do think that there's definitely room for them to do this. I don't necessarily think that the tempo should be the end-all, be-all excuse for them not to play these younger players. I understand that the rotation will be a little bit tougher if they play a team like Alabama who uses a lot of up-tempo, or if they played, you know, Vanderbilt, they used up-tempo. I'm sure we're going to see that a lot moving forward, even against a team like Kentucky, although they're more of a run-heavy team. It's going to be interesting to see, but I I just believe that if if you're going to have these young guys and these guys are going to be your key players as you move forward, you have to get them in there. You have to get them reps. And... You know, they've done a much better job over the past couple of weeks, but let's see more. We're going to be talking about a particular rotational defender when we come back from this quick break. However, because I have no interest in re-recording our first segment, I will share live right now. I just got the alert. Washington will host Utah on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN, according to the Pac-12. So... Uh, as we were kind of alluding to earlier about the BYU situation, that is now official, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I don't need to go back through that. Anyway, now you guys have that news. If if you guys didn't know it by now, uh, before now, now you know. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Jervon Dexter. So we got to speak with Jervon Dexter on Tuesday night uh, as – yeah, I believe it was actually his first time meeting with the media since enrolling at Florida. And he's a guy that we've talked about plenty on the show because we obviously love his potential. And I've been wary about playing him too much myself if I were a coach just because of how raw he is. And we got to learn a lot more about that actually tonight, which is pretty cool. But at the, at the same time, he's a guy that they understand is going to be a game wrecker for this team. He has seen his snaps go down after a strong start to the season and then work their way back up, and he's become more productive. In which case, he got to come out and tell it all. He got to talk to us uh, about his experience so far at Florida. And, Demetrius, what were you able to pull from that? Yeah, uh, it's actually interesting because we kind of talked about this last week, how Todd Grantham came out and he said that Jervon Dexter was getting more snaps, and we realized, no, he's not. So maybe he was alluding to this week and that, because he did get 27 snaps this week, which is a lot more than he was getting before, which was an average around 11, 12 snaps a game uh, prior to his 27 snap large lead in the first couple games of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see his development moving forward. Obviously this guy is a beast, uh, just a mammoth of a, of a man at six foot six, 308 pounds. Uh, he, he's, he has all the potential in the world. And I actually really enjoyed listening to him talk because he seems like a really humble kid and and he kind of knows where his place is and he kind of understands, you know, how much he has to grow. You know, he talked about 
playing with guys like Kyrie Campbell and Zach Carter, I, I specifically asked him, you know, how much has he gleaned from those guys? How much have you talked to these these players who are who have been here for so long and and obviously they're they're fantastic defensive linemen. Kyrie Campbell just won the co SEC defensive lineman of the week award and he's only been playing for a few weeks now of, of this short season. So he, he he talked about playing behind Kyrie and he said it's probably the best thing for me because I get to see what he does wrong and what he does right. So when he comes in, he he asks, he sees Kyrie and he's like, okay, Kyrie just did that wrong. So when I get in there, I'm going to do it right. And then Zach, you just learn from you, you. You He's a guy that you can just look at and say, okay, well, he's doing that. That's amazing because <laughs> Zach Carter, as we know, has been one of their best defensive linemen on the year and probably one of their best defensive players on the year. So it, it, it's just been interesting to see. And, and his little note about how Zach used to call him at night to just remind him to stretch little things like that, little leadership tools that you've seen and tips from, from leaders that you see from this Florida Gators defense. It's great. And you can just see the, how much of a fraternity these guys are. Even when Kyrie was absent for a few weeks, he would call up Dexter, you know, a guy that he barely knew because the shortened spring and the shortened summer and just weird fall. And then Kyrie wasn't even there for a little bit. It, but he still called him and said, this is what I need you to do this game. This is what I need you to do that game. So it's just awesome to see the leadership ability from the Florida defensive lineman and kind of see where Dexter thinks that he has to grow. Yeah, it'll be especially important because, like I said, he was raw. He was asked about why he's or how he's been able to come in and get so much early playing time as a true freshman in the SEC in the trenches. and He said it himself. You don't find many 6'6", 310-pound defensive linemen that are freshmen. It just doesn't happen, especially with his tools. But with that, they are raw tools. He does play high at times. We've seen that. It's something he'll just get better with as he learns from these guys. It's going to be so valuable because if you follow Dexter's recruitment, then you knew this. But if you didn't, and you're learning this now, he started playing football like for real as a junior in high school. He had not played previously since he was in, he says today, he said today it was in Little League. So I guess Pee Wee or something like that when he was a kid, he hurt his ankle. And he started focusing on basketball. He did that. I mean, a guy of his size, I'm sure, is just going to be a hell of a center in high school and middle school basketball. (laughs) But in 10th grade, uh, he started picking up again, and then he came out as a junior, and that's when he officially got on the Lake Wales team. And Demetrius, I'll let you share your thoughts on Dexter while I pull up his stats uh, because yeah. they were absolutely ridiculous in high school. If people didn't haven't heard these yet, yeah, uh, it, it it really is interesting because this guy didn't play football until he realized, you know, maybe basketball isn't the right move, and and that's fine. He didn't grow above six foot six, so it was absolutely the right move unless he wanted to lose a lot of weight and become a small forward or something like that. You know, it, it just wasn't going to be the move and playing football at six foot six, 300 pounds during his high school career. That's incredible. That's what you want to see in any kind of prospect. If, if, if you had told me, or if, if you're going to put a guy in a lab or make a, a defensive lineman in a lab, I feel as though Dexter's the one that will come out of that as a result. That's how big and menacing he is. I remember watching his highlights in high school, and Zach's about to pull up his stats, but it, it, it was just incredible. You, you you can see, obviously, why this guy was ranked as high as he was. He was a five-star player, one of the highest-rated you know rated recruits that you know, Ford has brought in in quite some time. 
there's a reason for that. He's completely dominant. We know that he work, wants to work on his technique, and that's exactly what he said that he has to work on. And to be able to stay in his gap, he 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 admits that he wasn't probably doing that a lot very well in the beginning of the season. He still has to work on that. And there's a lot of technical things that he's going to have to work out as the year goes on. But I, I have full confidence in a guy like Coach David Turner, who's been a heck of a defensive line coach. We've seen his recruitment and just how he's able to teach these young players and see where these guys have gone. I mean, obviously, Jabari Zaniga, uh, Jonathan Grenard, even though he only had him for one year, it, it, those guys got drafted. And there's a reason for that. David Turner is a big reason for that. So I'm excited to see what he can do with him, with Dexter. And as we move forward, we're going to see how he develops. If you could guess right now, and, and keep in mind, he, he was just a defensive lineman. And he played in a pretty talented area of Florida, being the Lakeland area. He was at Lake Wales in two seasons. How many total tackles do you think? Jerron Dexter had. And of course, high school stats are high school stats. But we're having yeah. fun here. <laughs> they're, they're a little uh, inflated. But uh, it, in two seasons, it, it's kind of hard for me to even say, like, uh, what, like uh, 120 in two seasons? 179. Oh, my God. And he's a defensive lineman, too. Like, <laughs> again, it, it is high yeah. school level, but you see defensive sure. linemen, defensive ends. He did a lot of end to end tackle. They don't necessarily compile a ton of tackles. They do a lot more opening for their linebackers to get tackles. But he had right. that. He had 26 sacks mm. and 53 tackles for loss. And keep in mind, this is just in two seasons of playing football. Yeah, his second really? season really? His, <laughs> his second season was 13 games compared to his junior season being 10. But still, you still saw a huge takeoff. He nearly doubled his amount of tackles per game as a senior. Uh, he... And that season specifically, he had 126 tackles, 17 sacks, and 35 tackles for loss. And so, when you're a when you're a recruiter, or when you're a coach at, at any program in the nation, and you see that, and you see the level of competition that he played at, you got to just be salivating. This is your guy. This is this is the number one target for any program in the entire country. And look, you guys, you Florida fans, you, the Florida Gators program, they got him. So. Just be excited for that and, and obviously his development as we keep going through. Yeah, we're excited to watch it. That's for sure. And that will just about do it here for today's edition of Locked On Gators. Of course, if you don't already, make sure to go subscribe, rate, and review. You can listen to Locked On Gators anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. You can also follow me at Zach underscore Goodall on Twitter, as well as my co-host Demetrius Harvey at Demetrius82. Most importantly, Go follow at Locked On Gators. We'll catch up with you guys next time.